let me invite you to turn with me to the book of Ruth, and we'll read the full version of the story that was summarized uh, a few minutes ago. This, this picture of Ruth out gleaning in the field is probably the d definitive picture uh, of Ruth and her life, Ruth the gleaner. And uh, here's the story from Ruth chapter 2. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's page 268. And we're going to read the whole chapter just now. Great story. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, 
pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. Praise God for this reading from His Word. The overall theme for this series of sermons each Sunday for four Sundays is Pathways of Grace. And today I want to ask a question uh, based on chapter 2 of Ruth. How do we experience the grace of God? And I want to suggest there are four ways in this story that are quite clearly mentioned about the different ways that we experience God's grace. Um, Last week, I talked about Ruth and the story of Ruth being like a shaft of sunlight that pierces through the dark clouds, because the times of the judges that we uh, have, have this story set against were times of spiritual darkness very often. And the story of Ruth comes in such a refreshing way as if God just pierces the darkness and brings this wonderful shaft of light as His grace is revealed in the life of this woman. So, how do we experience the grace of God? And here's the first way that I think we see in the book of Ruth, through His loving care. And this is expressed specifically in the story, in the food that Ruth receives and the welcome that she's given by Boaz. I mentioned earlier this ancient law that was found in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 24, Leviticus chapter 23. Some people would read through these books of law in the Old Testament and think, this is a bit heavy for me. But when you start to look at some of the obscure laws and think, why are they there? It makes so much sense, and it shows a God of love and concern for others. We've got some very obscure laws uh, in the UK today, 
Did you know, for example, that it is illegal to handle a salmon in a way that suggests something untoward has happened, suspicious circumstances? If you pick up a, a salmon and handle it in a suspicious way, then you're breaking the law. Did you know that? Just in case you ever have to pick up a salmon and handle it in a suspicious way. Did you know that we've got another obscure law that says if you're in London and you're queuing up for tickets for the London Underground and someone jumps the queue, they're breaking the law. You can call a police officer and have them arrested. Try that the next time you're in London and queuing up for the tube. And sometimes we look at these obscure laws. There was a reason for them. And sometimes we look at the obscure laws in the Old Testament, and we just gloss over them, and we don't stop and think, what's that actually saying? Because the laws God gave are an expression of His heart's desire for people. He wants to show His love and kindness to people who are poor, who don't have enough to eat, who are foreigners who've come to live amongst His own people. So, God gave this law. If you're gathering in the harvest, you don't go right to the edge of the field. You leave the edges. And if you've gathered in some of the crop and some of it falls out of your arms or a sheaf falls, leave it where it is. You don't go back for it. You don't do a second sweep of the field. You make sure there's enough for people to glean Ruth said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, she knew about this practice that was based on the law of God. Verse 2, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. This is one expression of the grace of God for us. The food that we have to put on our tables day by day, week by week. And yet, as we've been reminded this morning, many people in our society don't have enough to eat and are dependent on others sharing what they have. So, give gladly when you give to the food bank. Share it gladly, because this is all part of God's gracious provision in our lives. It's good to say grace, to give thanks, because it reminds us every day, three, four times a day, it reminds us that everything we have comes from God. Nothing we have ultimately is our own. When someone died, his friend said, what did he leave? And another friend said, he left everything. <laughs> you can't take anything with you. Everything we have is not really our own. It comes from God. So, this practice of just saying grace is such a great thing because it anchors us in thankfulness and reminds us, here's one way that we experience God's grace. Ruth was also welcomed by Boaz. Do you notice the reading? It's, it's very discreet in the language it uses, but it talks about the dangers that a young, attractive woman like, like Ruth would face working in a harvest field where men and women were there. And as a foreigner there, she was vulnerable. She was weak. 
and could easily be exploited by people who were either out for sexual favors or out to try and put her down. And you notice how Boaz shows a concern and the language that she used talks about the welcome that he gives to Ruth because he says, I know that you've come to shelter under the wings of this God. If you were describing God, would you describe him like a mother hen? That's how Boaz describes him. And Jesus picks that description up in the New Testament. I, I've longed to have you come and shelter with me, he says. So Boaz welcomes Ruth, and in so doing, shows the grace of God. The second way that I think uh, we see God's grace in Ruth's life is through the circumstances that he orchestrates. Someone once said, you know, that Providence is a book we read backwards. It's only after the event you often look back and realize God was working in that situation, and I didn't realize it at the time. God was there, and I didn't notice it. Ruth goes to, to glean. She goes into a field. Maybe it was the first field she came to as she went out from the house that she and Naomi shared. And it just so happens, it just turns out, is how it's described in the Bible, as it turned out in verse 3, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, a landowner who was a relative of Elimelech. And there are threads coming into this story that will all be woven together a little bit later on in the story. But in her circumstances, Ruth just found herself to be in the right place at the right time how was that organized? Because God was working in our life. Isn't it wonderful to think that the ordinary, everyday events of our lives, when we surrender our lives to God, He's in control of all that goes on. Nothing happens by accident. So, whenever we are faced with something that may perplex us, something we don't understand, we can come and say, Father, all my life is laid in your hands. Show me what you're doing, what you're saying in this situation, through these circumstances at this time, because he has said the Lord will guide you continually. Even when you're least aware of it, the Lord will guide you. I remember hearing a, a Church of Scotland minister talk about um, having a, a a guy come to his door completely out the cold, and he just knocked on the door. The Church of Scotland minister went to the door, and the man said, I've heard that you're a minister. He said, can you tell me what this verse in the Bible means about being born again? And he'd never met this guy in his life. And the story of this guy finding his house out of all the houses that he was looking for, and appearing at that particular point, looking for help with that particular verse, were millions to one, but there it was. Circumstances, they're not always as spectacular and as wonderful as that, but look for God's work. Look for God's presence in the everyday events of your life, 
because every detail matters to God. And in the story of Ruth, as Ruth comes and gleans in the field, she discovers that God has gone ahead of her. God is guiding her steps. And when Boaz comes to her in verses 8 and 9, he says, my daughter, you've, you've come to this field, so don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay with my servant girls. Watch the field the men are working in and go and work that field. And I've told them not to touch you. You'll be safe here. God provided a safe environment for Ruth to work in. A woman who was very vulnerable, a woman who'd so very little and was dependent on others, but most of all dependent on God. So God guides us and God shows His grace to us through the circumstances that we find ourselves in, through His presence and the fact that He's gone ahead of us. And when we commit our way to God, He will guide our steps. Sometimes we'll be aware of it, sometimes we won't, but it will be happening. Depend on it because He's the God of grace. Here's the third way that I think uh, God shows His grace in the life of Ruth, as He shapes our character. Now, that might be a, a strange thing to say, but did you notice in reading through the story how there's an emphasis on the character of both Boaz and Ruth? For example, look at Boaz. I've, I've chosen four aspects of character of each of these people. And here are the four I chose for Boaz. The reputation he had, verse 1, he was a man of standing. And in verse 22, um, it, Naomi says to Ruth, um, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Naomi knew that Boaz was a man of good, upright character. He was a man of standing in that society. Secondly, Notice the way he greets his employees. Verse 4, the Lord be with you. And they respond with, the Lord bless you. I don't know where you work, but imagine going into your work tomorrow, and the first thing you say is, God bless you, folks at work. How would they respond? <laughs> try it and see. Go on, try it tomorrow, or today if you've got to work today. But isn't this great? What a wonderful greeting. Um, we were on holiday about six weeks ago in Crete, and uh, we went into a, a Greek Orthodox church one day, and we saw all these banners hanging up in the church, and the banner said, Christos Aneste, and if you know Greek, that simply says, Christ is risen. And there was a young woman showing us around the church, and she was really keen. She seemed to be a real keen believer. And she said, you know, we put these banners up at Easter time. Christ is risen, Christos Aneste. And we keep them up for 40 days after Easter. And she said, when we meet one another during those 40 days, we don't say, hello, John, how are you? Or hello, Sarah, how are you doing? The first thing we say is, Christos Aneste, Christ is risen. Hello, John. 
Hello, Sarah. It's nice to meet you. And I thought, what a wonderful practice that is. And it's something we could well introduce here in the West. Christos Aneste, Christ is risen. The first greeting in those 40 days from Easter to the Ascension. Well, Boaz used a different kind of greeting. The Lord bless you. And his workers respond, the Lord bless you. So his reputation, his relationship with employees, his generosity. You know, to start with Ruth, verse 14, come and have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. Verse uh, 6, 15 and 16, he gives instructions to his men. If she gathers among the sheaves, which wasn't the way you gleaned, that wasn't the right thing to do. You'd get in the road of the workers. If she does that, says Boaz, just leave her. Let her go. Don't make an issue out of it. Character of the man shining through. And his moral behavior, which is shot right through this story. He wants this woman to be kept safe. Today we hear so much about vulnerable people and their needs and folks being exploited and trafficked. And here's an example of someone who's a godly person who's saying, I want to protect my workers. I want to show respect and dignity for all those who are with me. That's Boaz's character. What about Ruth's character? There are four things I've picked out about Ruth's character as well. The first thing is her hard work. She works from early in the morning. She just has a brief break, and then she's back in the fields again, working hard. And when she gets home to Naomi, uh, she brings all that she's gathered. Her witness is the second thing. Um, we don't know what she had said about her story, but Boaz says, I've heard all about you. So as a Moabites coming to live in Israel, Ruth bore witness to the God that she had come to trust in. The third thing was her humility. You notice twice in the story, in verses 10 and 13, she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes, and I'm just a foreigner? I'm nobody. She's humble. And then she takes all that she's got, verses 17 and 18, back to Naomi, and she offers it to her. She supports her mother-in-law. So her hard work, her witness, her humility, her support for her mother-in-law. God's grace shapes us. You know, I've sometimes met people, um, I'm sure there's no one like this in the Airdrie Baptist Church, but I've sometimes met Christians who are really hot on doctrine and really heavy on doctrine and, and they're very strident about the doctrine. We believe in the doctrine of the grace of God, they would say. But one of the things I want to see, if you believe in that, is a graciousness. Because the grace of God actually makes you gracious. It doesn't make you hard and unyielding. It makes you gracious and Christ-like. And although Boaz and Ruth lived a long time before Jesus, God's grace in their lives was shaping them, molding them. And the image 
that they would all derive from is the image that the Apostle John says, we saw in Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We saw it so fully in Him. And right back in the Old Testament, there's the beginnings of that shaping and molding of character. I've been started reading a book uh, by Alan Crider called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. And one of the things that Alan Crider says in that book is that the reason the early churches grew was predominantly because of the lives of the men and women who were followers of Jesus. It wasn't special crusades they held. It wasn't big missions or campaigns. They all have their place. But primarily, he said, it was their lives and their character as it was shaped by God and it made an impact on the societies in which they lived. God's grace comes into our lives like that beam of light as He shapes and molds us and makes us more and more like Jesus. And then the last way in which God's grace comes through this story is by trusting His Redeemer. You see this word, Redeemer, or kinsman Redeemer, in verse 20. Um, it's a word that's only found in the Old Testament. The New Testament talks about the Lord Jesus redeeming us. The image or the idea for that comes from the Old Testament. And what's behind this was that this if in your extended family there were some members who fell on really hard times, there would be someone who was in the family who was recognized as a kinsman and a redeemer. It would be his job and his privilege if you had to sell your land to come and buy it back for you, to rescue you. If you'd even had to sell yourself into slavery, he would come and redeem you from slavery. He would take you out of slavery. He would seek to make sure that you were cared for, that you were supported. He would change the circumstances in your life so that you were able to exist and to live and to have means of income and food to eat and so on. And if you had been wronged, he would come and gain justice for you. And you can see how that image in the Old Testament feeds into all that Jesus would do for us in the New Testament. And so you get verses like, He redeemed us by shedding His blood on the cross. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ is our Redeemer. And the idea for that comes from this kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament who would come and bring hope and help to people who are helpless, people in need, people like you and me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Here are four images or four ways, rather, in which the grace of God 
is experienced in the life of Ruth and can be experienced in our lives today through God's loving care for us in the circumstances we find ourselves in as He shapes our character from the inside and supremely as He calls on us to trust in His Redeemer. Boaz prefigured Him, but the great Redeemer who would come is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a, a picture that I love. Uh, I came across it some time ago. Um, it's a scientific experiment. A beam of light is passed through a prism of glass. And what happens is that the beam of light impacts the glass. And in that prism of glass, the light is refracted into all the different colors that make up the beam of light. That's the grace of God impacting our lives. And what happens is that in this multicolored, wonderful, splendid way, the grace of God extends beyond us and through us as He impacts us. His grace is diffused and the beauty of its colors is seen in our actions and in our lives as we look to Jesus. And here's a prayer, a great prayer that's there in the New Testament. We often say this at the end of a service, but I want to encourage you to share this prayer with me. And as we pray this prayer, it will lead us to our praise and then to share in communion together. So let's pray for the grace of God for one another. And we use these words, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.